Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. It's amazing with all these keynote preachers we've had, I've kind of forgotten how to preach almost, so I have to get straight into it. In actual fact, I'm really excited to share what I want to share this morning because I, and I'm really trusting that when I finish and say the final amen and we leave this place, we can leave this place with a smile on our face, a spring in our step, a glint in our eye, and that we could all be super, super encouraged. And the reason I feel that you will leave this place super, super encouraged is because of the nature of what I want to share this morning. I want to speak about failing forward. Failing forward. Forward. Everyone say failing. failing. Forward. The reason I want to speak about this subject this morning is because there's a lot of talk in Christian circles around success. We get to church and how can you be successful? How can you have a successful life, a successful marriage, a successful business, a successful family, successful health, successful finances, etc., etc., etc.? And that is not wrong. But I think it's to overlook something else that is actually more of a given than success. And that is this little thing called failure. And unfortunately, there's not enough people who talk about failure. And as a result of not talking about failure, we don't quite know how to handle it when it comes our way. And so I'm all for success. I'm all for you being confident and and, and having a go. I'm all for that. But this I know, you can't win all the time. I remember with our kids as they were growing up and very young and they'd start their sports, you know, you know, I'd be there cheering them on and yes, wanting them to win and do their best. But I realised as a dad, I had a responsibility in helping them know how to handle the defeats that come their way. No child of mine has ever won everything they've ever done and no child of yours or in fact, no one in this room has ever won everything that we've ever done. And so we've got to learn how to handle failure. And I think this morning that I'm probably the best person to talk about failure because when it comes to failure, I'm a little bit of an expert. I am. I am absolutely an expert when it comes to failure. I uh, love playing sport. I still do. Two things I excelled in were the soccer and the gym. But what you need to know about soccer, although I played soccer at a fairly high level, the first goal I ever scored when playing soccer actually went in our own net. It was, I don't know if you've ever scored an own goal. It is a humiliating, humiliating moment in your life when you pass it back to the keeper and the keeper's standing next to you and you're watching the ball slowly roll into your own goal and the other team are cheering, patting you on the back. It is it's horrible. It, it is horrible. It really, really is horrible. Remember the first time, this is the first time I went to the gym. I was 15 years of age. I wanted to emulate my, my dad's gym story. And so I went with my dad to the gym and he showed me a few little things of what to do and what not to do. And he said, you're okay, I'm going to leave you. He, I was playing around with the little weights. He was playing around with the big weights. And, and so I never forget, I was trying to do some squats. And so I did my squats. And when I came to here, I said, you've got to put your weights away. 
You, gotta put, you know you go to the gym, you've got to put your weights away. But what I didn't realise, it's helpful if you take certain plates off each side to even out the distribution of the weight. And as a young 15-year-old, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I just started stripping the bar on one side, only to have the bar go whizzing past my face. It almost clopped me under the chin, almost knocked me out. That would have been embarrassing. To see the bar go right up in the air, all the weights fall off the other side, the noise, I cannot describe the noise. And everyone looking at me in the gym, including my dad, said, you took all the weights off one side, didn't you? I said, yeah, I took all the weights off one side. i never forget another time I was doing this exercise called a hyperextension. It's where you hook your legs under a particular strap and, and you, you just kind of, just to, to work your lower back. And I was getting really enthusiastic and I was saying, no, just take it easy. Don't. And I said, no, I can do this, I can do this. But what I didn't equate for was the inertia that was, and the momentum that was being gathered and I was getting higher and faster. And I cracked my tooth on the bar that was supporting my weight and there's this massive crack, and Dad goes, you all right? And I was too embarrassed to say no, so I'm yeah. <laughs> but when I, when I finished, I stood up and looked at Dad and smiled, and I had this massive chip out of my tooth, which had to get seen to, which was not a finest moment of mine whatsoever. I've made lots and lots of mistakes along the way. It's interesting to me that I actually make a living today out of public speaking, and yet my first effort in public speaking goes back to primary school, and I stood in front of the class many times, unable to utter a single word. I was that incredibly shy kid at school. I used to hate Mondays. I mean, most people hated Mondays because it meant going to school. I hated Monday, not just the fact that I had to go to school, but it also meant Monday morning talks. And Monday morning talks for me were just horrible because it was the opportunity where everyone had to get in front of the class and share what they did on the weekend, and I dreaded that. And every week I'd have to stand in front of the class, say nothing, kids would laugh, and then I'd go sit down. Which I think is quite ironic, because today I make a living out of public speaking. It's a big part of what I do. And so I say all that to say this, it's possible to fail and yet still succeed in life. And the Bible is full of stories where people have failed greatly to go on to great success. And I want to look at a particular character in the Bible this morning, and I trust that we'll get much from it. And I trust that we will be encouraged greatly. And the person I want to look at is a man by the name of Peter. Peter was one of the New Testament heroes. Uh, he, he wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament, but he was a main player in the book of Acts. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And I want to read from the Bible this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, 
and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I love this account in the Scripture. You have Jesus trying to teach his disciples and you have Peter bright-eyed and bushy-tailed not listening to a thing Jesus is saying because he's convinced he would never do such a wicked thing. He was absolutely convinced. He said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I'm not like the others. Have you ever found yourself, can you see yourself in this? Can we just take Peter out of the story for a minute and actually put ourselves in there? Instead of looking at Peter as this arrogant, boastful, proud man, can we not see some of the arrogance and boastfulness and pride in us? Have we ever declared, I'll never do that. I'm not like the others. I'm better than them. And even if all these others fall away, I can imagine Peter going, let's face it, Jesus, they will, but not me. No, I'll even die with you if I have to. Can you see yourself in this story? Making these incredible boasts based upon arrogance and pride and lack of understanding. And Jesus just holds his ground and basically says, we'll see. And so in this morning, in the short time that we have together, I want to look at five, uh, sorry, four facts about failure. Four facts about failure. We have this man, Peter, who was about to learn some incredible lessons. He was making some really big, boastful, proudful statements. And let's face it, I think every one of us in this room have been guilty of that. I would never do that. I'm not like them. I'm better than them. Hey, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm not like that person. Am I talking to the right people this morning? So we can nice and easily put ourselves in the shoes of Peter this morning. This is the first thing I want us to learn about failure. It's this. Number one, that everyone fails. Every one of us fails. And Peter failed many times. Peter was that impulsive guy that was always putting his foot in his mouth. On one occasion, Jesus was talking to the disciples. He was teaching them as he often did. And he said, uh, he's about to die and he'll be raised again on the third day. Peter just interrupted. Peter just couldn't handle the thought of doing life without Jesus. Peter had paid a price to be with Jesus. He realised that Jesus was getting some profile, which Peter meant, it also meant that Peter was getting some profile. Peter was liking where this was all heading. And there's no way that Peter wanted Jesus to continue with this negative talk and ruin what was a good deal for Peter. And so he just interrupts and says, you'll never die. 
Have you ever done that? You just cut somebody off who's trying to speak, who's trying to teach, who's trying to help. He said, oh, you'll never die. And Jesus just looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, like, that's an ultimate ouch moment. It's like, what? Peter was that guy who was always putting his foot in his mouth. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the pressure was on and the guards were coming to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He'd bought a sword. Because Jesus had done some teaching recently about a sword and, and, and there'd be division and there'd be this and there'd be that. And so Peter's got this little sword. He pulls out his sword. He thinks he's doing a good thing. He thinks he's putting into practice the very things that Jesus taught. And he goes to cut some guy's head off. Mrs. gets his ear. And Jesus looks at Peter like, what are you doing? Peter, I did a good thing, huh? I did a good thing. Yeah, I did a good thing. And Jesus is like, what on earth are you doing? And he has to fix Peter's mess. He heals a man's ear. I imagine Peter. He's like, one minute I'm being called Satan. Next I'm cutting someone's ear off and that doesn't, what, what on earth do you do to please Jesus? You ever feel like that around some people? Can't do anything to please them? And here he is now. I'll never, never, never disown you, Jesus. Not me. Not me. But in Matthew 26, verse 73, it says, A little while. Sorry, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Jesus had now been arrested. Peter was warning, warming himself by a fire. And people started to notice his accent was just a little bit different than the others. And so now the accusation started. You must be one of those disciples. You must be one of those followers of this Jesus guy. Once, twice. Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, Peter is cussing now. I don't know the man. I don't know what you're on about. I'm one of you guys. Listen to the way I'm talking. You start swearing, picking up their language. I don't know the man, he said. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter found himself in a position that day that he never thought he'd be in. Know this, every one of us fails. It wasn't just Peter who failed that day. Jesus at his greatest time of need was deserted by all of the disciples. All of them failed Jesus that day. Turn to the person next and say, we've all failed. I want us to take heart this morning. If you feel like you're a failure, you're in good company because we've all failed. Now say it again to the person next to you, but smile this time. We've all failed.
First thing I want to highlight this morning is we all fail. The second thing is this, that failure can teach us things that success never will. Matthew 26, verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went away and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Peter learnt a very important lesson that day. Peter learnt something about himself that day. Peter learnt that he wasn't as bold nor as courageous as he thought he was. He learnt that he wasn't as committed, that he wasn't as faithful, that he wasn't as good. That in actual fact, he was just like everybody else. This was a pivotal moment in his life. And that's what failure will do in our lives. Failure will expose areas of weakness. And can I say that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It may not feel nice. It may not feel good, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because it highlights areas in our life that we can work on and indeed we need to work on. Peter always needed to work on this area of his life, but it was pride prior to this moment that blinded him from areas that he needed to work on. And this was a moment of exposure. This was one of those raw, naked moments where something about his character and life was revealed, and that's not a bad thing. Peter saw something about himself that day he didn't like it, but it meant he knew something that he could work on. See, a bad example or a failure in our life can highlight what not to do. And if we can learn what not to do, then that's as good as knowing what to do. See, failure is not final. Failures, if treated properly, can lead to great success. Benjamin Franklin said this, I didn't fail the test. I just found a hundred ways to do it wrong. Colin Powell said, there are no secrets to success. It is a result of preparation, hard work and learning from failure. And Tom Peters said this, if stupid things were not done, intelligent things would not happen. So give yourself a break this morning. We all fail and failures can teach us things that success never will. See, life is all about doing something long enough until we get it right. We have three young kids and they're all learning something. It could be singing, music, dancing, some sport. They're all learning something. Mitchie in particular is learning the guitar and, and, and in learning the guitar, he's played many bum notes, many wrong notes. But in playing a wrong note, it doesn't mean he stops and says, I will never play again. You just keep playing the note until you get it right. 
Because in playing the wrong note, you realise how bad it sounds and the need to get it right. And so we've got to keep practising until we get it right. I never cease to amaze me that the tenacity of, of toddlers, when they're learning to walk for the first time, they stand up, they hold on to something and they let go and one or two steps, they fall down. And then they get up again and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. Every one of us in this room passed that test. We didn't just give up at the first attempt to walk, but we continued until we learned to walk properly. Relationships are the same. You can't do relationships, not at a close level, without disagreement, without confrontation, without some form of conflict at different times. Relationships with the ones you love will mean the occasional argument or two. Imagine if we just gave up after every argument. You'd never have a relationship in your life. Unfortunately, many people do that. They, they never go deep because they don't want the arguments that are required at a deeper level. And so they never experience relationship as God intended them to. That's at a deep level. So we have lots of friends, a mile wide, but an inch deep. And social media has not helped in this regard. We have a 1,000 friends, 2,000 friends, 3,000 friends. Do I have an advance? 4,000 friends, 5,000 friends. We have lots and lots of friends and we don't even know each other. We might just know a small aspect about their lives. But in order to go deeper and to really get to the heart of a situation or the heart of a person, we're going to mess up from time to time. This is what I've learned. The ones I love the most are the ones I hurt the most. It's not intentional. It's that we're trying to help. It's we're trying to move from where we are in our relationship to where we desire to be. And so if you've had a bad week this week, if you've had an argument this week, be encouraged. It doesn't have to be the end. But we can work through it and go deeper. The only way to avoid failure is to say nothing and do nothing. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to immobilize the church, to do nothing and to say nothing. The best parents in this auditorium this morning are those that don't have kids. Full of you know, idealism of what they will do or what they won't do. When oh, you know, I've seen the way those people handle their kids. I will never do that. How many of you have parents found yourself saying what you wouldn't do only to find that you do do it because there's a little thing called reality? Can I say to those that love this church and attend on a semi-regular basis and enjoy all that is on offer, but you don't actually get involved? It's real easy to critique the music or the preaching or the lights or the this or the that or the coffee. But what I want to say is let's get involved. Let's get involved. The devil wants to immobilize us. Jesus wants us to be involved. Thirdly, God's love never fails. Everyone fails. There are some lessons that only failure can teach us. My third point is this, that God's love never fails. Can you imagine Peter on this particular night having been rebuked by Jesus, having the mess he's made 
made up for by Jesus through cutting the servant's ear off. And now he's gone and disowned Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. He's weeping bitterly. Jesus has now died and been placed in a tomb. Where do you think success is in Peter's life? Where do you think success is on his radar right now at that moment? Peter's just defeated. He feels like giving up. In actual fact, he goes back to what he was always doing and that was fishing. Maybe he went back because of discouragement. Maybe he went back because the disciples disowned him. And here's Peter fishing, thinking, it's over. It's over. But on the resurrection morning, when the women went to the tomb, there was an angelic visitation. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, the angel said, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they lay him. You've got to get this. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Why did the angel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say, and Peter? Why didn't he just say, go tell the disciples, of which Peter is one? Why don't I just, just go tell the disciples? I believe the Holy Spirit is very aware of how human nature works. I imagine in saying, and Peter, was to undo two thoughts that day. One, the thoughts Peter was having about himself. And two, the thoughts the disciples were having about Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Do not leave Peter out. My plan for Peter's life has not changed. How I feel about him has not changed. See, we serve a God whose love toward us is not based upon condition or performance. His love is unconditional. He loves us because of who we are, not because of what we do. Isn't that amazing, church? Our God loves us in spite of our mistakes. His love is not based, thank God, on our performance. Religion bases our lives on our performance. And that's why sometimes when we've read our Bible and we've prayed, we feel really good because we've done what we should do. But we serve a God who loves us. Even if we never read the Bible again, He still loves us. Some of you struggle to comprehend that. Yes, we should read our Bible because it's going to bless us and help us and feed us and grow us and nurture us. We should do that for us but not to gain favour with God. You reading your Bible is to help you. It's not to gain favour with God. You have that already through Jesus Christ and what He has done, not what you do. This love is so unconditional. If you never pray again, He still loves you. Hey, 
If you never come to church again, I'm on dangerous ground here because I think you should be at church. But if you never come to church again, guess what? He'll still love you. We don't go to church just to please God. We go to church for different reasons. We go to church because it's been instituted by God to help us, but not to gain favour with God. The favour was gained once and for all when Jesus Christ went on the cross. And it changes our motivation. It changes why we do things. If we could truly understand this, we would never read our Bible again, pray again, or go to church again, trying to get favour, trying to please God. But our motivation for why we do those things would change. And we'd find proper perspective and proper place for those things. See, failing does not make you a failure. You can do some stupid things. I certainly have. But it doesn't make you stupid. It's different. I've done some stupid things. I've done some really stupid things. But it doesn't make me stupid. You may have done some stupid things, but it doesn't make you stupid. You may have failed many times, but it doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't change the way God views you and sees you. Because His love is unconditional. Can I encourage you with this thought? A bad day is just a bad day. Seriously, who's ever had one of those days? That's cool. Maybe you've had one of those weeks. That's cool. But just don't make that week a month, and that month a year, and that year a decade, and that decade a life. It's just a bad day. There are some days you get up with all the best intentions and you do everything you know you should do. You get up, you read, you pray, you, you, you do devotions, you put the tithe in the, in the offering bucket, you go to church, you do everything right, inverted commas, and it's just one of those days, nothing goes right. He's like, where's God? He's where he's always been, on his throne in control. See, a moment of triumph can make you feel like nothing can stop you. Likewise, a moment of failure can feel like nothing will succeed. But neither feeling is right. We've got to move from feelings to faith. Too many of us make major decisions based on how we feel. We've had a few wins, we feel successful, we feel like we can take on the world. That was Peter. He disowns Jesus three times. He feels like a failure. I can't go on. Oh, I'm awesome. Can't go on. I'm awesome. Can't go on. I'm awesome. Can't go on. People live like that. And it's no way to live. For one, you look ridiculous, but it's no way to live. We can't afford to go by our feelings. The devil wants to get you when you're at your worst and attack you and not the problem. He wants to accuse you. Call yourself a Christian. He'll use people to say that as well. But essentially it says in Revelation 12 that he's the accuser of the brothers. He's the accuser of the sister. He wants to accuse you. And so we've got to learn to combat 
and speak into our world. In Psalm 43, verse 4, it says, Then I will, tell, I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise you, my Saviour and my God. We've got to learn to speak into our world. We've got to learn to agree with what the Word of God says to us. In Joel, it says, let the weakling say, I am strong. It doesn't say, wait till you're strong, then say you're strong. It says, when you feel weak, when you feel downcast, speak in your situation, say, I'm strong. Paul, having pleaded with God three times to remove this thorn from his flesh, he heard the voice of the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you. And he learnt this lesson that when I'm weak, I'm at my strongest because that's when God can use me the most. We've got to learn to speak in our world. And so even when things are at their worst, it can actually be that they're at their best because it's when God can move the most. Had a situation just yesterday. Our youngest, Bailey J, she's seven years of age and she told a lie and uh, that didn't go well with us. And uh, we had to discipline her. We thought, how can we best discipline her? We took some television rights off of her. And so she wasn't allowed to watch the television. And we've been enforcing that for the last few days. And yesterday she came, having had 24, only 24 hours without television, just 24 hours. I mean, 24 measly hours. You'd think the whole sky was falling in on this little girl. She walks downstairs and she's in tears. I said, what's up, sweetie? She goes, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? I have strong words. And it wasn't just, he said, it wasn't like a flippant, why do you hate me? He was like, why do you hate? It was like, hate. It was like, <laughs> she got a bit of phlegm up. <laughs> why do you hate me? And I had to grab a hold of her at that moment. Tears an accusation and grab her by her arms. I said, sweetie, daddy does not hate you. You've got to change your language. You've got to speak into the situation. Your daddy loves you. So I want to hear you say, daddy loves me. Just because you're not allowed to watch television does not mean I don't like you. So let me hear you say, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. Now say it like you mean it. Daddy loves you. Now say it with a smile. By the time we finished that little moment, she was laughing and giggling and got some perspective. P.S. She's still not watching television. She's cute. She's not that cute. <laughs> and it's because she's that cute. I want to make sure that she's learned all the lessons she can prior to being married. Because the pressure that so many feel in marriage today is because they're learning lessons that mum and dad never taught them 
when they were younger. And they manifest in marriage and it makes marriage so much harder than it need to be. So for that boy that is out there somewhere, I don't know where he is, I don't know what country he's living in right now, but he will thank me one day that when she was seven years of age, we took off her television rights and tears and accusation aside, we didn't falter. But we did reassure of, of the love we have for her. Which brings me to our last point this morning, and if the band could come, that'd be great. That the greater the achievements, the greater the failures. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it's hard to believe that this guy I'm about to read is the same guy that cut someone's ear off, was called Satan, denied Jesus three times, and yet, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read of this man Peter doing something so profound. Peter said, repent and be baptised. Peter found himself standing before thousands of people. And now he's speaking with clarity, wisdom, grace and boldness. He says, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000. Not three, not 30, not 300, but 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Hard to believe that this is the same guy that gave up, went back to fishing but now finds himself standing in front of thousands of people. And there's this incredible response. There are very few preachers who can boast what Peter was able to boast on that day by the grace of God. See, all the greatest achievers failed the most. Thomas Edison, who invented the light globe, has been recorded that this man, before producing what we know as the light globe, failed some 10,000 times beforehand. That's a lot of failures. I want to quote Abraham Lincoln, and I think this is a word for many this morning. He said this, success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. That's the key. Can I say to some of those who have been around for a while, some of those more mature Christians who have seen a lot, that's the trouble. When you've been around a while, you see a lot. You see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and so we resolve to go to church, but we're not going to get involved anymore. 
been too many hurts, too many letdowns, too many disappointments. And we've lost our enthusiasm. And enthusiasm is made up of two little Greek words, entheom, and it means to be in God. When you're in God, you'll be enthusiastic. I think sometimes our church attendance is anything but being in God. We just go out of duty. And I want to encourage you, if you've been around a while and you've seen a lot, keep enthusiastic. One of the greatest joys for me since Paul and Gabe and Ethan have joined our team is seeing them sit in a staff meeting, commenting on the things that they hear week after week, Sunday by Sunday. They're not sitting back saying, oh, we've heard it all, we've seen it all, we've got the T-shirt. No, they're learning. They're enthusiastic. They believe that their better days are ahead. And we've got to learn to stay enthusiastic in the things of God in spite of the many failures. The reason there are so many underachievers around the world today is because of the fear of failure. We've resolved fear is too painful, so we're not going to do that again. And so we put a ceiling on our life. But the thing you need to know about the, the failures we face are to learn a lesson to give us a resolve to go to the next level. And, and if we don't pass the test at this level, any other opportunities that will come our way will just cripple us. John Maxwell uses the example of a baseballer by the name of Ty Cobb. And he says in 1915, he set what was then the all-time record for stolen bases in a season with 96 steals. Seven years later, Max Carey set the second best record with 51 stolen bases. John Maxwell goes on to say, amazingly, Carey failed only two times in his 53 attempts. Cobb failed 38 times in his 134 attempts. He says, I suspect that if Carey had tried more times, he would have set a record that would be unbeaten today. See, I feel we go into a place that I like to call, let's play not to lose. And when you play life not to lose, you'll never win. You won't win in relationships. You won't win the last. Your health won't win. Your finances, nothing will win. Because success and growth and depth and intimacy is on the other side of failings. The person I've upset the most in this room is my wife. That sounds horrible. But the person I'm closest to, had the most intimacy with, is my wife. The person I love the most today is my wife. We vowed that there is no area that we will not go. We want to explore and challenge at the risk of making mistakes for the sake of something better. As your pastor, I have made mistakes. 
You can't have a church of this size without making mistakes. In actual fact, I'm probably up there with the most mistakes of anyone in this room. And it's painful. It's painful to have to leave some people behind. It's painful to hurt the ones you love. But for the sake of where we're going, we need to learn from our mistakes. And I'd like to think that after 20 years of doing what I've been doing, I'm a better person for it. That this is a better church for it. I want to encourage you this morning to get out of this fear of failure. My question to you this morning would be this. How often are you failing with good intent? It's a challenge that was put to us last week with Paul De Jong. How often are you failing with good intent? See, the thing about Peter, after the day of Pentecost, when he stood in front of all those people and they responded, he still failed. He still got it wrong, even after that. It wasn't like from then on, it was just up, no, no. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul, the great apostle, had to come alongside and say, Peter, you're clearly in the wrong. You have clearly violated the pattern of God. And so here he is, Peter's getting told off again. And they're the recordings that we know of. There'd be hundreds and thousands of recordings that we are unaware of. And yet at the end of his life, tradition records he was crucified upside down because he finished his race. He never gave up. He never gave in. And some 2,000 years later, we're still reading the writings of Peter. Peter is still impacting lives today because he refused to let failure rob him of something bigger, something better. How often are you failing with good intent? Let me close with this little illustration. You've all been to the circus with the high tops, the trapeze artist. I remember watching a documentary many years ago about this trapeze artist. And they were asking about how you learn to do that tightrope. How, how do you do the tightrope? How, how where do you start? And he said, the first lesson we start with is this. We learn how to fall. That's the first lesson. They stand at the top and they fall over and over and over again and gain a confidence in the net that is below them. Because once you know that and have a confidence that there is someone or something to catch you, you'll no longer worry about falling, but concentrate on walking. If what I have said is true, that we serve a God whose love toward us is unconditional, what greater safety net is there in us having a go? Knowing that He will not think less of me, knowing that He will not love me less, knowing that my relationship with my God is not based upon my performance, what greater safety net is there? And it's this knowledge that gives me a confidence to be able to pick myself up again and continue walking. And it's this confidence that each and every one of us should have, knowing that we can pick ourselves up again and do it one more time. How often should we do it? I don't know, but do it one more time. 
Whatever challenge you are going through right now, I don't know how many times you have to do it, but I will say this, do it one more time. And if you fail again, how often? Here's my answer to you. Do it one more time. And if you fail again, just do it one more time. Because the good news is, while we have all failed, God loves us in our failures and He enables us to succeed in spite of our failures. In actual fact, what I found to be true is my greatest testimony are my failures. I get this all the time. I love the way you're so raw and honest and you tell us stories about yourself. That's my connection point. And it's the things I am not proud of and it's the things that I wish I hadn't have done that God has actually used quite often the most. The very fact that we can talk about Peter 2,000 years later and that his story is encouraging people is incredible testimony. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 